God, we, we thank you, Lord, the call that you have given us to be poor in spirit, and Lord, to know that we are free to admit and to confess our need for you, and Lord, to recognize that there is nothing in us that gives us the, the ability to stand on our own two feet before you, God, but we can stand on the work of Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you for the freedom that you say, for yours is the kingdom. And so, God, we thank you for the invitation you get us to humble ourselves and to acknowledge our need before you, God. And I pray that as we sit through this last session, Lord, that we would recognize that, Lord, our endurance is tied to our poor in spirit, Lord, that we continue day in and day out, focusing on our need for you and trusting in the provision you've made for us uh, through your son Jesus on the cross. Lord, encourage our hearts this evening, and it's your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me give you uh, a little bit of a head start here. We're going to be in the Old Testament book of Haggai, all right? So if you are looking for Haggai, go ahead and get a, a jump start. And if you need to look at the uh, table of contents, there is no shame in that. If you can't find Haggai, just look for the part of your Bible. It's really clean and white, and uh, you're probably going to be in the right general area there. Haggai. Four words we're looking at today. Look, love, listen, last. Look to Jesus, love Him, listen to Him, and last, endure, finish. Um, when, when I first came to Emmaus, it was um, May of 94. In fact, right after I came here, uh, my very first day on the job, I had no idea what to do, and so I got here early, excited. Uh, I, went to, uh, I went to my office, which is to say I went to a large closet where they had put a desk in this large closet, and I had no idea what to do, and so uh, I sat down, and I thought, I'll just, I'm going to read the book of James. I don't know, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. My, I didn't have a phone in my office. Didn't have a, we had one computer in the church. And if you wanted to use it, you're supposed to like put on a piece of paper that you wanted to reserve the computer. And uh, so I, I didn't have any idea what to do. So I read the book of James. It took me about 15 minutes. And I thought, you know, maybe once that happens, I'll have an idea of, of what to do. So I read James, and uh, I still had no idea what to do. So you know what I did? I read James again. <laughs> and James and I got very acquainted that day. And I thought, I'm just going to keep reading James. So either I know what to do or someone comes and, and tells me what to do. And uh, it's my very first day on the job. And, and I wanted to have a good first day. I wanted to have a good first week. And I wanted to be, I wanted to be faithful. Uh, they had planned before I came uh, a trip to Six Flags for our students. And so I had a parent meeting. I was 20. And we're taking seniors that are 18, a couple of them are 19. And uh, Stu, one of my first memories of meeting you uh, Stu has a daughter named Ryan, and Stu came up and he said, hey, when you're doing the rooming list, Ryan is my daughter. I need to make sure she's staying with girls, you know, don't, don't, I didn't know anybody. And uh, I said, that's, that's good, that seems like a, a good thing to do. And uh, so we go on the trip, and Ryan was great, we had no problem with her, uh, but I did have one girl who at the baseball game was not where she was supposed to be, and it was the pastor's daughter. 
and I've been on the job for two weeks. And I thought, I'd, I'm in trouble. And uh, so I had to kind of get on to her for being late. And then we got home, and I thought, I'm going to be fired after two weeks here on the job. And I really wanted to be faithful for this three-month job, and I'm not going to make it through the month of May. And by God's grace, we made it through the month of May and had a, had, had a great summer. And like I said, it's going to turn into being a seven-year ministry here. And in those early days, I really wanted to start well. I really wanted to start well. 25 years later, I find myself wanting to make sure I finish well. I hope, by God's grace, I have a lot more of time to do this. I hope. I mean, I'm 46. Um, I'm healthy as far as I know. Uh, enjoy what I do. Enjoy a, a pretty full, hectic schedule. I hope, if you know, as far as I can tell, I hopefully still have a lot of time left to, to do this. But more and more, and probably it's for my season of life, being an empty nester now, life kind of turns to got a little more of my view on finishing well versus just how we started. And that's even been true for me just all my life as a pastor. It just the people I've been drawn to as mentors from a distance are men who have done it for a long time. If you're a young man in this room, uh, I'm, I'm thrilled that you're here. Uh, absolutely thrilled that you're here. Uh, but I'm, not, I'm just not real impressed with famous guys that are 30. And there's nothing wrong with guys that are just faithful if the Lord gives them a big stage. It's not that that's their, that's their problem. It's just that there's just a lot of guys that are really faithful, or at least appear to be for a season. And uh, as one pastor often says, time and truth go hand in hand, and if you're not truly committed to the right things, you generally get exposed eventually. I'll tell you who I do love. I love when I do a funeral of somebody who's about 90, and they were faithful to their spouse till death part of them. I love when I do the funeral of somebody who walked with the Lord with their last breath. Those are my heroes. Famous or not, influential in the world's eyes or not, men and women who are faithful to the end, who last, who persevere, I love that. I love to go. Uh, we've got a senior adult Sunday school class, and with our schedule at church, I preach two services back to back, and so I rarely get to go to Sunday school to be with our people, but every once in a while, I'll have a few minutes I can duck into a class, and when I do, I try to go in this, our, our senior adult couples classes, our oldest class, oldest church members, um, and I've, I've preached the funeral of a lot of them, and, and the ones that are still with us, a lot of them are, are late in their years, but they sing every Sunday when their class starts, and I'll go in there, because you know what kind of songs they almost always request? When the roll is called up yonder, in the sweet by and by, songs about heaven. Because for people who are 25, heaven sometimes sounds like a divine interruption. For people who are 85, heaven sounds like home. I love, and I say this in the most respectful way I can possibly mean it, I love to hear old people sing about heaven. I love it. I've got a lady at our church, she's 95. She looks like she's 195. 
and she comes to church every Sunday, and she sits in the same chair every Sunday, and she opens her Bible. It weighs about 87 pounds. It's a family Bible. She, I don't even know how she carries the thing, and she gets out her pen and her paper, and when I get up to preach, she just leans forward in her chair, and she's got a pen out, and what she's saying to me is, teach me something about God's Word. I love that. That's my heroes. People who finish well, who run the race and finish well. Men of God look to the Lord, love the Lord, listen to the Lord, but get this last one, they last with the Lord. They persevere. They're faithful to the end. I love to sing uh, the great hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, Lamentations 3. And I love to, to, when we sing that as a church, if we've got our choir on stage, I try to find the, the people up in the choir loft that I know that have buried a spouse or buried a child or have survived cancer or are battling cancer. And people who have been through it or are right in the midst of it that are standing that day saying, Great is thy faithfulness, Lord, unto me even though my husband died, even though I buried my child, even though my spouse left home, even though I pray every day and my rebellious teenager hasn't come back, whatever it may be. I love people who last, who persevere. You need to have some heroes who are really old, and I mean that in a very real way. You have some people in your life that have done this for a long, long time, and that no matter what they've endured, and it may be with the heaviest heart and the most tear-filled eyes you can imagine, but they just keep pursuing Christ. You need to have people like that in your life. When I started the ministry here when I was 20, the people, the old people I looked up to, were people who had kids in the youth group that were both in high school. They were like 40, like really old. And now I think to myself, man, I'm the old guy, at least to, the, to my 20-year-old self. And now at 46, I find myself looking for heroes that are 66 or 76 or 86 or 96. I want examples in my life of people who are running the race well and who finish the race well. Men that last. Men of God last in their pursuit of the Lord. Have I given you time to find Haggai? You there? If you like a little history, uh, you're going to enjoy the next few minutes. If you don't like history but want to learn, you're going to enjoy the next few minutes. If you don't like history and don't want to learn, take your nap quietly. We'll nudge you here in a few minutes, okay? Uh, when we read the Old Testament prophets, it gets a little confusing. Uh, it can be hard to keep track in our mind of, of the chronology and, and what do these names mean and what exactly happened. So let me just kind of walk you briefly through a little Old Testament chronology that I think will help you to, to put the Old Testament together because I want you to understand where we are when we jump into Haggai 2, all right? Uh, unless you guys are just 
super, super knowledgeable and more so than any other group of men in the world, and you just know exactly what Haggai is about, let me just assume that like me, uh, you need to, to brush up on some of this, okay? So let me, let me remind you of what's going on here. So in the Old Testament, Israel has three kings in a united kingdom. You have Saul, David, and Solomon. After the death of Solomon, the kingdom divides, and you go from one kingdom, a united kingdom, to two kingdoms, all right? To the north, you have Israel, ten of the tribes go up north. To the south, you have Judah, made up of two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin. And so you've got Israel and Judah, and they are now a divided kingdom. In the year 722 B.C., so 700 years before the birth of Christ, the Assyrians are the dominant world power, and they overtake uh, the northern kingdom of Israel. 722, they, they conquer Israel, and they take uh, some of the Israelites, and they scatter them, and they bring other people from lands uh, that, that they have conquered, and they mix them up, and so the, the Jewish people in Israel end up intermarrying with other people in the Assyrian Empire, which is where you get a category of people that are very prominent in the New Testament known as Samaritans. And that's why they were so hated by people, because they were considered a, a half-breed, so to speak. So that's going on in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom of Judah, you have the Babylonians who have now come on the world scene. And in 605, so northern kingdom was 722, about a century later, 605, the Babylonians come in, and they begin to overtake the southern kingdom of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar is their king. And they begin what's known as the exile. And you've got three different periods of deportations where the Babylonians come into Judah, and they take the best and the brightest, and they begin to take them away from Judah, take them into Babylon. Uh, this is where uh, events like um, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, Daniel in the lion's den, uh, those kinds of, of events are, are taking place here. So in 605, that takes place. In 586, huge date to know, to, to kind of help you with your Old Testament chronology, 586, the temple is destroyed. Jerusalem's burning. And the people of God in the northern kingdom of Israel have been overtaken, 722 by the Assyrians, southern kingdom of Judah overtaken in 605, 586, Jerusalem and the temple destroyed, and the best and the brightest have been deported out and taken into exile into Babylon. Fast forward, so that's 586. Fast forward to 538. The Medo-Persian Empire comes on the scene. Medo-Persians overtake the Babylonians. The king of the Medo-Persians says, that the Jewish people who were taken in exile can go back home. A little less than 50,000 of them make their way back home. And can you just imagine, as they make their march back home, how triumphant that would seem? We're going back home. We've been in exile. We're going back. We're going back to where we're supposed to be. In their mind, you're entering into the golden age. And they go back home, and what they find is a city that's just been 
war-torn and destroyed by fire and 50 years later, and it's a mess. And they think we, we, we probably ought to get to rebuilding the temple. And so they start to work to rebuild the temple. And two things happen. One is the other neighboring nations complained. They got external pressure from neighboring nations to complain about the work they were doing. The other thing is they begin to battle with internal idolatry. And they begin to set the work of rebuilding the temple aside. And it's not just about a building. The temple represents where God met with His people. And they had external pressure and internal idolatry, and so they abandoned the project. And for some 16 years, the project just lies in ruins. And so God raises up a man named Haggai. And Haggai's job is to go call the people to finish the task. To do the work that had proven to be so difficult to do. To do the work that people had abandoned. In fact, Haggai will confront them and Haggai will say, you know what? You men have abandoned building God's house. It lies in ruins while you dwell in your own paneled houses. You have money to build your home, but not money to build the Lord's home. You have time to build your fortune, to build your economy, to build your jobs, to build your houses, to build your sheds. You do not have time to take care of the Lord's work. Isn't it interesting how many people have time for everything they want to do, but yet seemingly so little time left over for the Lord? That is no new problem. That is not an American problem. That is not a 21st century problem. That is a human problem. And so Haggai says, consider your ways. Let's get to work. The interesting thing about Haggai, Haggai breaks down in the four sermons he gives his people. We have precise dates. It, it happens in, in August of 520 B.C., then again in October, then again December the 18th of 520 B.C. And he tells the people, he confronts them in their sin, confronts them in their idolatry, confronts them in their spiritual apathy and laziness, and says, men, get to work. And you know what the people did? They got to work. I mean, th this almost never happens in the Old Testament. Prophets preach and preach, and nobody cares. But in Haggai's case, the people heard the word of the Lord, and what they did is they took three weeks to plan and to, and to get a, a structure together. They had to get materials together, and three weeks later, they start work on the temple. And this temple that represents the Lord and the fact that the Lord speaks, and the Lord speaks to His people, the Lord meets with His people, and we can approach God on His terms, and, and that God wants us to know Him. This temple that represents all those things, the people of heard the confrontation, they have repented, they have believed the word of the Lord, they have believed the word of the prophet, and they said, let's get to work and do this thing. And it was a marvelous day. Let's go to Haggai 2. In the seventh month, on the 21st day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Speak now to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, 
and to all the remnant of the people and say, Who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? This is October 17th, 520 B.C. Haggai's first message came August 29th. The people began to work September 21st. October 17th, we've got a problem. The problem is the people going to work on the rebuilt temple, all they can think about is the old one. The old one is so much more grand. The old one is so much more beautiful. The old one held so much more treasures of the earth. And the people are discouraged. The old men are just living in nostalgia. The young men are hearing the words of the old men and they're feeling defeated. I mean, after all, who wants to do the heavy lifting of picking up rocks and timber and trying to construct this thing if even when it's done, you're going to look at it and say, this is of nothing. I mean, it would be like if you have your beautiful sanctuary that you have now. Before that was built, the church met in here. Before the church met in here, you met in the, what's the old, what is it now? Is it preschool? The old sanctuary? If we had to go back to that thing, some of you guys remember what the old one looked like? We don't want to go back to that thing. And can you imagine if your church came to you and said, look, we've got to do a building program, we've got to give, we need to sacrifice, we need to come do the physical work, and because this building is gone all of a sudden, all we're going to do is go back to the old building and try to just to get something small like that. And you would say, but even if we give and even if we do the work, when it's done, we're going to look around and say, this building is as nothing. They're discouraged. Nostalgia is a dangerous thing, gentlemen. The good old days, it's a dangerous thing. When you get a group of men talking about the good old days, they almost always miss what's right in front of them today. Now, there's a biblical way to look backwards with respect. Joshua 3 and 4, they cross the Jordan River. What does God tell them to do? Go back and get 12 stones. Build this stone of remembrance so that when your children and your children's children say, what is this about? You can tell them the work the Lord your God did for them. There's a way to look back and remember that's good. There's a way to look back that's dangerous. And it happens in the church. Remember the good old days when everybody came to church and everybody sat in pews and everybody had a hymnal and everybody wore a 12-piece suit? Remember those good old days? It's okay. But are you missing what's out there right now? I mean, I'm the guy that would wear the 12-piece suit when I was seven years old. I'm the guy that would, I'd put my car on the line tonight if anyone would take me on in hymn trivia. I grew up in a music minister's house. I know every hymn that's out there, I think. I kind of like the good old days. 
But nostalgia is very dangerous. Because if all we do is reminisce about how things used to be, you will miss the day in which God has put you right now. God has not called you to be the church of 1994 or 2004 or 2014. God has put Emmaus Baptist Church with you in it in 2019 to reach the neighborhoods and the nations now. Right now. Look back and be grateful for every sweet saint who sacrificed and gave and taught and discipled and preached the gospel a hundred percent, a hundred times over. Be grateful for every good thing that's happened in this place. But if you look back with nostalgia, you will take your eyes off of what the Lord has for you today and you will discourage the younger generation who will conclude from your leadership, no matter what we do, it will never be good enough. Are you with me on that? Is this something we can all fall prey to? You bet it is. And the older we get, two things tend to happen. The older you get, the more you tend toward isolation. And the older you get, the more you tend to focus on the days that are gone by. And now you're by yourself, and now you're looking in the past, not at today. So I want you to write this first thing down. The first thing I want you to take notice of is that it's hard to move forward while looking back. It's hard to move forward while looking back. Let's go back to the text. Verse 4. I'm sorry, verse 3. Who's left among you who saw this house in its former glory? In other words, how many of you guys saw what this used to be? Now, remember what the former house was. It took 180,000 men seven years to build Solomon's temple. It had 285 tons of gold, 625 tons of silver, and more bronze than the Bible says they can measure. That's some building. Can we agree? That's some structure. No wonder it was something amazing for them. And now these less than 50,000 have come back from exile and they don't have much. And what they have, they've spent on themselves. There's not much left. The economy needs rebuilt. The whole place was burned to the ground. The whole thing's been essentially desolate. And now they're trying to rebuild this temple. Then even if they get the structure done, where's the gold? Where's the silver? Where's the bronze? And not only that, Solomon's temple represented a thing where people from all over the world wanted to come and see it. And it represented a time where God's people were united and they were the light. And now the northern kingdom's been destroyed. The southern kingdom was destroyed. They've been away in exile. They've come back. And even though they're allowed to rebuild, they will never again in their lifetime or many centuries to come Will they fail to not be in the times of the Gentiles? They will be under the control of the Medo-Persians. And then they're going to be under the control of Greece. And they're going to be under the control of the Romans. So much so 
that they're going to take a man they want to kill named Jesus of Nazareth, but they're not allowed to put a man to death on their own. They're going to have to get permission from Rome, which is why they will take Jesus on six trials. Annas, Caiaphas, the Sanhedrin, Pilate, Herod, and back to Pilate because they've got to get Rome's permission to put a man to death. Even if they get the temple rebuilt, it'll never be as grand as it was before. It'll never be the wonder that it was before. And they're going to have some Gentile ruler telling them what they can and they can't do. Haggai says, I know what you're thinking. It's the end of verse 3. What you're thinking is, this is going to be as of nothing in your eyes. Gentlemen, it is hard to move forward if you're always looking back. There is a way to look back and be encouraged and be inspired that propels you to move forward. But you know what a lot of churches do? They get stuck in what's back. And they end up missing what's right in front of them. Don't let that be you. Men of God last with Christ. They endure. And gentlemen, you will not accomplish what God has for you today if you're stuck in the past. This can happen to any of us. You know what the best music that was ever written is? It's the 80s. You know why? Because it's when I grew up. You know why I think that's the best music? Because it reminds me of a time I didn't pay a mortgage. And I didn't care about the price of gas. And I didn't know what a 401k was. I didn't know what long-term care was. I didn't track the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ. I didn't keep up with what the United Nations was saying. I was just watching Growing Pains and Who's the Boss? I was just trying to figure out how do you French roll your jeans? I was trying to find out where can I buy some of that green bottled polo cologne that everybody at Brink Junior High is wearing. When I hear those songs today, it takes them back to a really simple time. Now, if you grew up in the 70s, teenager, that's your favorite music for most of you. And you think it's the best, not because it's the best, because it takes you back to a simple time. If you grew up in the 60s, it's the best music. Whatever takes you back to a time before pressure and deadlines and death and disease and doctor's appointments, that can creep into the church too, gentlemen. And we can spend so much time looking at how things used to be how things were when we were kids, that what we miss is that the Lord has something for you to do today. Your neighbor will not be one to Christ by you being nostalgic about how things were when you were 14 years old. They need to hear the gospel today. And I love the way things were when I was 14. You cannot move forward if you're always looking back.
And Haggai says, you're looking at the temple and you're getting discouraged because you see it as nothing. Look at verse 4. Yet now, interesting, you're going to see the connection, be strong. We just saw that in the New Testament, didn't we? This is the continual command of the Lord that God's people are to be strong. The most often given biblical command, you know what it is? Do not fear. Be strong. Old Testament, New Testament. Be strong, O Zerubbabel declares the Lord. Be strong. Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. It's hard to be discouraged while looking at the Lord. Number one, it's hard to move forward while looking back. But number two, it's hard to be discouraged while looking at the Lord. What do men of God do? Number one, they look to the Lord. That's where we started this morning in Sunday school hour. It's hard to be discouraged when you're looking at the Lord. And so he says that you need to be strong. And then look what he says. Uh, in, in verse 4, be strong, all you people, the land declares the Lord. Work, for I am with you. Get to work. Get to work doing what He's called you to do. Repentance starts in the heart, but gentlemen, it always manifests itself in the hands. So Haggai says, the word of the Lord of the people, Stop looking back and being so discouraged. Look to the Lord, be strong, and get to work now. So, I've got a dear man in my church. I love him with all my... He's a good friend. He's a good man. He's an older man. Every time I talk to him, without exception, he'll say something eventually. He'll say, Pastor, I remember you know, 30 years ago, people used to go out and knock on doors share the gospel. We used to do visitation. We used to do outreach. I used to go out and share the gospel. And I always say the same thing. Let's do it now. Let's do it now. Well, I don't know if I can do it now. And what I want to say, according to Haggai 2, is be strong and let's get to work. You can't spend the last 10, 20 years of your life reminiscing on what you did when you were 20. You're going to miss what God has for you today. Some of you are 40 and you're still here. You don't have to be old to make this mistake. And old depends on how old you are. I get it. If you're 40, you don't think you're old till you're 70. If you're 70, you don't think you're old like 150. I get it. It depends on where you are. But all of us, regardless of our age, if we're not careful, we will waste today looking back at yesterday. But if you look at the Lord, here's what's going to happen. You're going to be strong, and you're going to get to work. So here's what you need to do, gentlemen. You need to go to your pastors and say, what work needs to be done? Let's look back with joy and gratitude, but don't let your mind stop there. Let it propel you to say, what work needs to be done today? Where does the church need strengthen today? I tell people at Mustang all the time, don't come to my office and think that you shocked me by unearthing some problem. we got lots of them. I'll tell you what they are. What we need are people to work and do what God's called us to do. We've got weaknesses. So does this church. You've got weaknesses. 
I assume, right? We got some things we could probably strengthen here. You probably don't, you're not turning people away to help the children's ministry or preschool, I'm sure. And so you could look backwards and say, I remember when kids were more respectful. I do too. That's not going to help us reach the kids today. I remember when kids sat still in church. I do too. Any of your mom just hit you on the head? Mine did. Punched me in the nose? Whatever it took. That's not going to help us reach kids today. Oh, you can look backwards and be nostalgic and reminisce all you want, and if you miss what God has for you today, what have we done? So Haggai says, don't give in to the temptation to just look backwards and be depressed. Instead, let's be strong and let's get to work. Look at the end of verse 4. For I am with you. You need to underline this, write it down, catch what's being said here. Why can they be strong and why can they get to work? Because God is with them. What are the people fearing? The people are fearing that the work they're doing is insignificant. The temple's not going to be as grand and glorious as the old one, and they think it's insignificant. And Haggai says, remember this promise. Be strong, get to work, because God is with you. Abraham's gone, God is with you. David's gone. But God is with you. Solomon's gone. But God is with you. The old temple is gone. But God is with you. Gentlemen, some of you don't have the strength you used to have. But the God who saved you is still with you. Some of you don't have the money you used to have to be able to fund missions and ministries like you used to but God is still with you. Some of you don't have the physical strength and stamina to serve the same way that you used to serve. Those days are gone. But God is still with you. I'll tell you what the enemy wants. The enemy wants you to sit down, look in the rearview mirror, and either rejoice in what used to be or be depressed at what is today as long as it keeps you from being faithful now. That's what the enemy wants. Here's the hope. The God who was with Solomon when he built his temple is with them. And there is no work that is insignificant if God is in the midst of it. I hope you'll hear that, gentlemen. There is no work that is insignificant if God is in the midst of it. Anybody in here teach preschool or children's Sunday school? We have any of them here? Awana? Okay. How about youth? Teenagers? Any teenage workers in here? Got a couple of you? Adult Sunday school? Any adult Sunday school teachers? Any of you guys ever on an honest... Sunday night when you go home, think to yourself, I'm teaching the same three kids every week. Teaching the same 20 adults every week. I don't know if it's doing any good. Is it really making a difference? 
I mean, if I quit doing this, is it really going to matter? These kids don't listen anyway. I spend the whole time saying, put your phones away. You ever get discouraged? If you've done ministry for any length of time, you'll get discouraged. Anybody here been on a mission trip? You ever come home from that mission trip and wonder, what was that? None of our plans came through. We had an itinerary, nothing happened. We, we planned to do this work and no kids showed up. Everything that we planned and prepped to do got changed. What, what, what was that about? Is it really worth it? Here's where you've got to steady yourself if you're going to last. If you're doing God's work for His glory, there is nothing that is insignificant. That class you've been teaching that's the same people for the last 20 years, nothing is insignificant when it's done for God's glory. That ministry you have outside the church that nobody even knows about, nothing is insignificant. Your ministry that you wish was larger happens to pastors. You look at other churches, the other churches that are growing more quickly, other churches that get more notoriety, other ministries that are bigger. Other ministries in town that seem to be larger. Can that discourage you guys? It can be discouraging, can it? We won't last if we look like that. We've got to remember that if God's in the midst of it, everything we do matters. And our meaning is found in the God in which we serve, not the way the world would measure success. If you're going to last, that's how you've got to think. That's the word of the Lord, Haggai, to the people. Get to work, be strong, because the Lord is with you. He says in verse 5, This is according to the covenant I made with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains in your midst. Fear not. Again, this is the most frequent command in the Bible. Fear not. Now, We've got a lot of stuff in this text that we're going to have to skip by for, for time, but I want to show you one thing here. Go back to chapter 1, verse 12. I'm going to show you guys in the next three minutes something that can change your life, and that's not an exaggeration. Haggai 1.12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. They disobeyed. God's prophet called them out on it. They responded in faith. They obeyed and they feared the Lord. That's Haggai 1 verse 12. Haggai 2 verse 5 says, Work hard, I am with you, do not, uh, my spirit remains in your midst, fear not. Which is it? Chapter 1, they are affirmed because they feared the Lord. Chapter 2, they are commanded, do not fear. So the honest Bible reader ought to catch that and stop and say, wait a minute, are we supposed to fear or are we supposed to not fear? 
They feared the Lord and were affirmed in chapter 1, and now in chapter 2 they're told to, ha- to fear not. Which is it? Do we fear or do we not fear? Here's what you've got to understand. This will change your life. When you fear God, you need fear nothing else. Men fear the wrong thing. There are men even in churches that call themselves Christians that have no fear of God and are deathly afraid of what someone said about them on social media that are so concerned about what somebody put on Facebook or Twitter about them and they have no fear of the Lord. You know the men who last? They're the men who say, I fear the Lord, I need fear nothing else. It's been said of certain men that the reason they feared men so little is because they feared the Lord so much there was nothing to worry about. You want to disobey God? You want to reject the gospel? You want to forfeit your own soul? You better fear the Lord. Because the Bible says if you're not covered by His grace, His wrath resides upon you. You ought to fear more than you do if that's you. But if you know who the Lord is and what He's done for you and how fully and perfectly He saved you, what can man do to me? Why would you be afraid? You belong to the Lord. Why would you look back in a nostalgic way that's going to keep her being faithful today if you understand what God's called you to do? Literally, what's the worst thing man can do to you? Kill you? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Do you get it? They can't win. Great is your reward where? In heaven. You want to kill the body? I'm at home with the Lord. Why would I fear man? My worst day on earth, humanly speaking, is my pathway to glory. Why would I fear man? You want to go stand before the Lord based on your works and your record? You ought to fear that. You know what the good news of the gospel is? That you don't have to stand before the Lord on the basis of your record. You stand on the record of another, namely Jesus Christ. Fear God. Fear no one else. Verse 6, For thus says the Lord of hosts, Yet once more in a little while I will shake the heavens and the earth and the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all the nations so that the treasures of all nations shall come in and will Fill this house with glory, says the Lord of hosts. Let me give you one last thing. Number one, it's hard to move forward while looking behind. Number two, it's hard to be discouraged while looking at the Lord. Third and finally, it's hard to quit while looking ahead. It's hard to quit while looking ahead. Verse six, I'm going to shake the heavens and the earth. You know, that's the only part of Haggai quoted in the New Testament. Do you know that? It's quoted by the author of Hebrews in reference to the second coming of Christ. 
He says, you know how the Lord was faithful in the Old Testament and the Lord said, I will complete my work so it will be so ultimately in the end when the Lord returns. God is going to be glorified. Verse 8, the silver is mine, the gold is mine. Can I just remind you, God is never short of funds. God's not looking. We, we don't need some famous rich person to bail Christianity out. We just need faithful people. We just need faithful people. God is going to be glorified. God is still going to be faithful. God is still going to be with His people. So Haggai says, get to work. And build the temple. And they do. And four years later, it gets finished. God is doing more than you know. And that work that feels insignificant matters. So, raise your hand if you're in your 20s. 30s. 40s. 50s. 60s. 70s, 80s, any 90s? All right, so we got below 20 up through 80s. So did they in Haggai too. And there was one problem. The older men were so stuck in the past that the young men got discouraged before they even got started. And Haggai had to come and say, if you're going to finish this task, you've got to keep your eyes focused on the Lord. Gentlemen, the same thing is true for this church. Amen? We need, and I say this with the most respect I can, I love, love our senior adults at our church. I love them. We need men in their 70s and 80s more prayerful about next Sunday than any other thing in their life. We need men in their 70s and 80s wearing Jim and Owen and David and Jeff and Jaron out saying, what do you need? I'll do it or I'll fund it or I'll pray for it, or I'll support it. More aware of what you could do for the kingdom in the next year than what happened 15 years ago. And I love what happened in this church 15 and 20 and 25 years ago. I'm a product of what happened in this church 20 and 25 years ago. If you want to sit around and reminisce about Emmaus in the 90s, call me. I want to go. I want to listen to the stories, and I want to tell the stories and make a few up that didn't even happen in the first place. I'm in. But there's a danger. 
if that conversation doesn't end with us saying, He was with us then, He's with us now. Let's get busy now. If it doesn't end that way, then you're going to get in your car and drive off, and you're going to think about what good old days. And you will miss what's in front of you today. When one of your pastors preaches your funeral, make it easy on them. Don't make them think backwards to find a time when they can talk about you being faithful. Let them talk about right now. The people in Haggai's day had a problem. The problem was they wondered if they could ever do the work, and even if they could, would it really matter? Every man in this room has had that same dilemma. Can your life really matter? Can your ministry really count? Can your prayer, your encouragement, your teaching, your greeting, your singing, your hospital visitation, can one person really make a difference? But the problem in Haggai too is that the leaders were so busy looking backwards that they passed on the disappointment to the next generation. Let me see some old men excited about now. Let me see some old men who say, I want to serve the Lord today. Let me see some old men who will go to the young men and say, guys, watch me. Don't listen to what I did 20 years ago. Watch what I'm doing today. That's what the church needs. People who are more intent on being faithful today than daydreaming about the past. This is true for pastors, deacons, members, married, single, young, and old. I'll close with this. Cale moved off to OU three years ago, and uh, I, I love my son. We're very, very close. I cried for three days. I didn't expect to. I was so excited from going to college. I, I was... I didn't expect to be that emotional. I cried for three days. And uh, I worked about 20 hours a day because I went home, I just cried. My wife cried, and it's ridiculously boring if you're both crying. (laughs) So I just worked for three days. And I got up on the fourth day and I thought, I'm good. I'm good. And I was. Except for one thing that caught me off guard. Sundays. My whole life, I've loved Sundays. It's my favorite day of the week. Love them. And for the first time, I would stand out and preach to my congregation, and my son wasn't there. And he was at another church, and I had been my son's pastor, and I had to hand off the privilege of being the pastor for my son to some other man. That was hard. 
And now I've done it twice. And there's a part of me when I drive to church that tends to think back to when my guys were little. And they'd sit with our youth on row, our youth sit in the front row, second row, third row, fourth row. And my guys, my two, were right there. I was a preacher. I made sure they were hearing the word. I miss those days. I miss them. But this morning, I drove to your church with two options. I could reminisce on the past, and that would help you exactly none. Or I could do my best to open the Bible and feed you God's word. I hope today you've been blessed not by stories of reminiscing but by hearing the word to say what can we do today same is true for you there are people today desperately depending on you to be focused on now and not miss it men of God Look to the Lord, love the Lord, listen to the Lord, and they last. Can I bring it full circle? They last by continually looking to the Lord. The circle continues until Christ calls us home. Lord, I pray that you would help these truths come alive in our hearts. Anything I've said, Lord, that was confusing or vague, may it be quickly forgotten. I don't desire for these men to remember anything that I said unless what I said has come from your word. Lord, where there's been conviction, may your spirit bring direction. Where there needs to be repentance, may you grant it where there needs to be a fresh commitment to finish well, Lord, may you give that to us. Help us to look to you, to love you, to listen to you, and to last in pursuing you by continually looking to you and loving you and listening to you. May we see this as a circle that propels us to faithfulness until the day you call us home to glory. Lord, I pray you would use my words to strengthen these men. I desire nothing more, nothing less than for Christ to be magnified among us as we have opened our Bibles and asked you to teach us. I pray that your spirit would work in our hearts in the days to come. It's your name that we pray. Amen. Can I just say a sincere thank you for you men being here and for the invitation to be here. I am more than humbled and honored to have been asked to come back and be a part of this. I, I appreciate it more than I could tell you guys. I love this church. I appreciate you guys so much, and I pray that we will press on together as we pursue the Lord. Thanks.